This is Working the Beat. I'm Kevin Cooney. Hope you, everyone is doing well as we continue the battle through the coronavirus scare. As uh, uh, not scare the the pandemic of uh, what's going on here. Everybody's life has been put on hold, and uh, you know, obviously, this week we have two shows. We're trying to fill some of the gap that you may be having as you're homebound and everything. So uh, our one show, we have Mike Silski on, and he talked about um, a little bit of everything in Philadelphia sports and, and just life in general as we uh, as we uh, try to get used to what has become the new normal. And uh, so that is on, and you can load that where we you would normally get the, the podcast. On this one, it's uh, Keith Jones, um, Flyers uh, television analyst, uh, also from 94 WIP, the morning show, and uh, uh, the NHL and NBC. We're talk a little bit about where he sees the game going, what it'll look like when it comes back, and his broadcast career, and his also his friendship with uh, Craig Berube, which Mike actually chronicled really well in a um, column uh, back, I think it was in late January, um, the column one, the friendship between him and the uh, – St. Louis Blues coach, former teammate of his in Washington and Philadelphia, and obviously former Flyers coach who uh, won the Stanley Cup last year in St. Louis. So uh, we'll talk to uh, we'll talk to Jonesy in a few minutes. My partner Mike uh, Mike Kern not with us on this episode as we are maintaining our social distancing, and uh, I because of technical uh, requirements had to do uh, Keith uh, by myself with uh, a phone line as opposed to uh, doing something um, maybe on uh, Facebook as we uh, have done, or I'm sorry, not face, FaceTime as we have done on um, other interviews. So in this time, so Keith Jones will join us here in a few minutes as we kind of look ahead and look back at what's going to happen. We're going to try to do two shows the next couple of weeks. Um, you know, we were supposed to have today um, or we were supposed to have on with Mike, uh, Dr. Jill Giordano farmer, who's uh, working for uh, uh, a doctor and neurologist. She was my wife's boss, full disclosure, uh, when they were at Drexel University, but she is also has a master's in public health. We were going to talk a little bit about the situation that's going on, and we're going to try to get her on early next week um, to talk as we get more about the situation that's, that's taking place. It's a uh, challenging time right now, uh, and... Obviously, a lot of moving parts. Uh, one of the things I want to bring up before we bring Jonesy in here is, um, you know, I, I, you know, we've all been following in the baseball circles, at least, uh, Charlie Manuel, who, if you notice on Twitter back in, I want to say December, had hit some health issues and everything. There was an interview with a pool reporter uh, that the Inquirer wrote about today. I, I believe NBC Sports Philadelphia did as well, maybe even The Athletic. Um, and Charlie's starting to feel better right now. He had a, a final surgery up here. Uh, it was serious. And Charlie, if you've known Charlie's story, he's battled cancer. He's had heart issues. He's had heart attacks. He had diverticulitis. He's had a lot of different issues. And this one was a surgery that kind of went wrong in Florida. Uh, Philly's owner, John Middleton flew him up here, uh, to Thomas Jefferson hospital. And, uh, obviously, uh, Charlie is now on the road to recovery. He's walking four miles with Missy uh, every day. So uh, it is cool to see that Charlie is uh, bouncing back. And, I, you know, look, anyone who has ever been around Charlie Manuel 
knows how special a human being Charlie is. And uh, I, I had the good fortune of covering Charlie for his tenure uh, here in Philadelphia. And Charlie is one of the, again, one of the most special human beings I've ever met. So it's, it's awesome to see that he's back on his feet. And at this time when we all kind of need some positive news, it was, it's awesome to hear that Charlie is, um, you know, bouncing back and, uh, you know, hopefully down the road we'll, we'll, I'll have a shot to see him. Um, you know, once everything gets resolved here, obviously Charlie's down in Florida again at his uh, home in Winter Haven. Um, hopefully, uh, I'll get a shot to see him and talk to him and maybe we can talk him into maybe coming on the podcast one time. Um, but obviously, you know, Charlie's health comes first and he's still recovering. So I want to just send out the best wishes there, you know, and, and as far as with everybody else, as we're going to keep going and doing this, and I got to thank our, my buddy, Chris, uh, Chris Freed, um, Chris Freed on, um, uh, Facebook who kept saying, no, we need more content. We need more content. Well, we need feedback from you as well. And so we, uh, we, I want to have feedback on what you want to hear, uh, people you will want to hear from, uh, one of the interesting suggestions. And I want the, I'm going to float this with Mike actually is the idea of maybe doing one, like a, a, a little bit of a back in the day podcast. And, um, you know, Thank God for CBS showing the the classic March Madness is this weekend. It was awesome to see, um, like the Villanova Georgia, uh, Villanova North Carolina game again, which they had on on uh, Sunday. Uh, they're going to have Villanova Georgetown, I think, this coming weekend. Um, it, good for CBS to do that. I, but when we talk about back in the day, you know, I've had people talk about the fond memories they had of Prism. Uh, and, and some of the stuff that we saw there. So I'm, I'm working on getting a couple of people maybe connected with that. But if you have topic ideas, please send them in. I'm at Kevin Cooney on Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty easy to reach. Uh, and I'm right now I got nothing else to do. So it's uh, it'll be good to, to get feedback from you, the audience, on what you will want to hear as we move this podcast forward uh, through these times until we get the games back. And then when the ga- we get the games back, we'll all be back to normal with whatever it is we do, which is complain about the Sixers, which you know we can do now because they do stupid stuff. But um, it'll be great to get back to that moment. But we also should remind you, as I'm sure everybody else in the world has, you know, to get back to that point, we all have to stay together and we also have to stay inside. And we also have to find a way of getting ourselves through this epidemic and try to keep everybody as safe as possible. So listen, you know, it's listen and, and learn and, and, and be smart. So that's my message. And as uh, we, when we come back after this break, it'll be Keith Jones talking a little bit hockey and the world around us. That's next here on working the beat. Looking to reach the sports fans of Philadelphia in a brand new way. This is Kevin Cooney. Each week, the Working to Be podcast with Mike Kern and I brings the hottest topics into this sports crazed town with the people and the events that shape the landscape. Now, your business could connect with those people by advertising on the Working to Be podcast. Join us at 267-546-7277 or email us at workingthebeat at gmail.com to find out how you can reach out to this growing audience. It's the best sports talk in Philadelphia, and you can be a part of it. 
That's 267-546-7277 or workinthebeat at gmail.com to join the Work in the Beat podcast family. And joining us now, one of the funniest people that I've ever met. Um, and from the WIP Morning Show, the Flyers color analyst on the television broadcast on NBC Sports Philadelphia, and from the NHL on NBC, it's Keith Jones. Keith, how are you? I'm doing well, Kev. How's everything going for you? We're hanging in there. Uh, and, uh, you know, I guess what's it like for you at this time of year? You're not used to having this much free time, are you? No, it's strange. I guess surreal comes to mind every day you wake up and you look around and wonder if this is really happening right now, but it is. So you kind of adjust. I've been fortunate that the radio still exists and I've been able to go in and do the morning show a couple of extra days over the last few weeks, each week, trying to pack in a few extra shows just in, uh, in case hockey comes back and we're covering the playoffs. And I would expect if it does, which I think it will, I'm going to be very busy at that time. So just been uh, getting used to walking my dog at home, trying to (laughs) stay active and keep on moving. And at the same time, catching up on a lot of my chores around the house that I haven't had a chance to catch up on in a long time. Jonesy, I mean, you know, you obviously have a lot of connections within the league. What is the what is the mood right now from people in the league and the sense that you know, Gary Bettman made it pretty clear that they're going to an award a Stanley Cup this year if they can. Uh, how long they could hold out and wait for this? Yeah, I, I don't think you'd be playing hockey in August. Uh, I know that they, the NHL would like to have a normal regular season next year. Maybe you have an abbreviated training camp, but I I know that uh, ideally they'd like to have an 82-game season and a normal playoff after that and try to catch whatever they can out of the end of this year. So it would have shocked me that the regular season would be determined to be over now and that they just start right up with the playoffs. It wouldn't shock me. I, I, I think there's a possibility that that would happen. Maybe they play, I don't know, 10 more games at the end of the regular season games and jump into the playoffs right after that. The players have proven in the past that at certain international tournaments like Canada cups and world cups of hockey, that the top players can come in and jump in in the middle of the summer and play the game at a high level. Mm -hmm. So I, I don't think that would be an issue. And I think the fact that every team has had their players basically self-quarantine for the last couple of weeks in order to open up the possibility to starting to come back to practice in small groups as early as next week. I think they have, you know, all intentions of getting this thing started again if, in fact, they get the green light from, you know, governors and uh, state authorities that uh, things are going to open up again in the next six weeks. And... and for them to ramp it back up. Like I know there was a, you know, it's strange because there's nothing ever like this that you could compare to. I mean, you know, you've had lockouts and everything, but they were early season and all that where I think the only thing it compares is it, it was in 92. They had a, a little bit of a strike, a mini strike at, right in like April before the playoffs. In yeah, a, I was there. I was there for that one. What that, was that? Was the, that was a uh, player's, Strike uh, attempt to try to get uh, some 
better, uh, I think something better in their contracts at that point. And that's when, really, that's when salary disclosure and stuff had just really started to come onto the scene. So we're going back a ways there. But I do know that because I, I was called up at that time, that's the first time I had just finished college and I was called up as an extra player. So I was then sent back to college for two more weeks before I returned for the play. That's the only other time that I can remember uh, a very brief pause right before the playoffs started. So that was strange in itself. I can't imagine what it feels like for the players. And most importantly, the players are like the rest of us. They're concerned about getting ill, their family becoming ill, uh, grandparents and parents at the forefront of the concerns of everybody. So there's a lot of different emotions that must be going through everybody's mind. I think just the same as uh, kind of the same boat that we're all in. And, and the idea that you may end up playing Stanley Cup playoff games, which, I mean, the buildings are what make Stanley Cup playoff games incredible. The intensity and everything within a building, within the, on the ice and everything, that you may end up having to play them without people in the stands, to me, is even more, you know, it, it would make it a little surreal at that point. You know? Yeah, it's weird. Like, even if the Kentucky Derby ran and the horses ran without fans and it would be a great TV sport, it would still not be the same to me. Or the Masters. You love watching the the pageantry. Right. uh, Just how much everybody gets into it and the high fives and the hugs. And, you know, but now you, you watch any replays, and there's so many on right now of different classic games. And the number one thing you realize is the game seems really important when you pan to the fans and they're going absolutely bananas. So that is something that has made the playoffs such a great uh, thing to witness. And in my case, participate in. It was the most fun time of really of my athletic career was when the playoffs would begin. And the first day of the playoffs was in many cases, some of the most enjoyable hockey because it looks like everybody is shot out of a cannon trying to make it their year. So it would be weird without the emotional benefit of fans in the stands. There's no question about that. On a pure hockey perspective, where the Flyers were when we hit pause a couple weeks ago, obviously they had lost to the Bruins that Tuesday night before the pause, and they were in Tampa before – before the the plug was pulled, but they had so much momentum and, and, and everything was going really well. You know, the, the goaltending was coming in the focus. Uh, you know, they, they were getting balanced scoring up and down. How much does all of this from a hockey perspective, like how do you kind of get the engine running again? If you do resume? Yeah, it's their depth. Kevin. They, they've got a team that, Number one, as a terrific head coach and has a lot of depth on the bench beside him and Michelle Terry and Mike Yo, that's proven that it's paid huge dividends this year. They also have depth at every position, uh, including center ice and goal, the two most important spots. And they should get two very important players back from injury in JVR and Phil Myers. So I, I think that would be something to be excited about as a Flyers fan that I don't think they're going to miss a beat when things get started back up. What is it that Terry, uh, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Vigneault has brought in that um, 
that that has has kind of clicked that maybe they didn't have with with Dave Hackstall. He's got it. Like he he has what it takes. It's a really difficult thing to describe, but he commands the room. He has a real likable presence about him, but he has a presence about him where you have to respect that he has the ability to be honest, uh, be forthright with his players and delivering a message and also being honest with the fans and sharing that message with them after he's already talked to the players about it. I think that's been a really refreshing uh, part of what Elaine Vigneault has brought, the big reason why Flyer fans have really taken a liking to him. I know the wins matter, and that's a big part of why Flyer fans like him, but I think they like his approach as well. And I think he does an excellent job uh, preparing his team and giving very intelligent answers after games and press conferences that really tell me from afar that this guy's got a great feel for what's going on with his team. And, and the idea that he, early in the season, I mean, he was willing to call out, he called out Voracek, he called out a couple people, like, directly. He, he didn't dance around issues. Did that, in a way, help that he was telling them the exact thing, same things he was telling the public, and that helps within a locker room, correct? The, uh, accountability. It does. It does. As long as you're right. You just got to, it's one thing to target a player and give, you know, harsh criticism to that player and then to the public about that player. But you have to be right. You have to go after the right player. You have to know that that player has the potential to do more. And if you're picking on a guy that's a third or fourth line guy, it's going to be a real difficult sell to the rest of the locker room that you're going to treat everybody the same way and going after star player directly but honestly i think has a great influence on the way the room is run and the way the team is run so he established that he was the boss from the start and i think he has the respect of everybody uh the star players included and that's not always an easy thing to do in today's game who is the best coach you have for that when you played, I let, I love playing for Mark Crawford in Colorado. I thought he was a very demanding coach, but I, I thought he was a very well-educated coach. He had the answers to my questions mm-hmm. and knew how to deliver them in a way that uh, you could appreciate what he was saying. Even if he was giving you crap, you understood that he was correct in what he was saying. If, if someone's just going after you and, you come away feeling, I think I know more than that guy, uh, then you've got a problem. So Crawford was one guy that really stood out to me to be a really intelligent coach. And I also love playing for Roger Nielsen, but I was a veteran player at that time and was kind of perfectly suited for Roger to help uh, kind of guide me when I arrived in Philadelphia. Just because he, I mean, Roger, if I remember right, his temperament was sometimes viewed as aloof, but for you guys, he wasn't aloof, correct? Yeah, he was different. There's no doubt about that. (laughs) But he was a good guy. Like, he was just like, he cared. He he studied video to the point of exhaustion. He was way ahead of his time. And he really did a great job of delivering a message to the players without having to do it in an angry voice. Um, he, he, without question, was an excellent hockey man and 
was a real pleasure to play for. He was, he just a, was a superhuman being. It was too bad that he passed a little bit too soon. Yeah. And, and obviously, you know, he comes, uh, he, he passed away. Uh, I want to say 2003. I mean, but he, he had such a legacy across the game with Vancouver and obviously he was with the Rangers for a bit and came here. You, it, you mentioned Colorado, you ended up playing with Forsberg and you ended up playing with Lindros. And obviously those were the two main points of that trade uh, that everybody around here remembers. Uh, what was that like playing with, playing with either one of them? Well, they were both great players and both played the game differently, although they both played the game with a physical edge, which you could appreciate. But playing with Peter was remarkable when I arrived in Colorado. Claude Lemieux had been injured, Mm -hmm. and so I got the opportunity to play on his line with Valerie Kaminsky. And I can't tell you if I've ever had – in fact, I know I've never had that many tap-in goals where – Peter would deke out four guys and set me up at the side of the net where I could just tap it in. But he was a phenomenal talent and really did just so many things, not just well, but almost perfectly, uh, including the way he acted away from the game too. So he's still a friend to this day, always will be. And uh, the same thing for Eric, but Eric played the game a little bit differently There was great anticipation whenever you stepped over the boards, uh, home or away, within the arena, that when Lindrock stepped on the ice, that something uh, remarkable was going to happen. And you you just got this sense that being part of that and being part of that line with John LeClaire, every time you stepped on the ice, you felt like you could dominate the opposition. And uh, Eric was a rare player in that regard. He, he was uh, he was a tough guy for uh, the opposition to play against, and as we all know, he took a lot of hits because of the fearlessness that he played with. So uh, I was pretty lucky to play with both guys that are both in the Hall of Fame. And, and obviously, Eric, I mean, Eric's career was shortened in, in a lot of ways because of, of the concussions and everything. He was the first to really speak out about that issue. Um I mean, you got to see it up close. Uh, how difficult was it for him to, to get on the ice a lot of those nights? Yeah, I, I think it was a big deal. There, there's no there's no question that that played a lot into, obviously, why his career never reached the potential that uh, he, he demonstrated early on when he started in Philadelphia, especially. He was never the same player after he left Philly and never the same player after the Stevens hit against the devils um so yeah there's that was in the really i won't say the infancy of uh, concussions but that's when they really started to come to the forefront and before we just kind of played with them right uh, and you thought you felt funny and you didn't play well for a month but you <clears throat> eventually if you're lucky enough you came out of it uh, we know a lot more now and uh, i'm not sure if that's a major influence that Eric had on the game and bringing attention to the concussions. But there was a whole lot of players that uh, started to run into issues with them. And, and the league started to figure it out pretty quickly that they had to do something about it. And if you look at where the game is today, it's remarkably cleaned up in regards to headshots to the head. Right. Yeah. And the punishment that goes with that. And, one of the nice byproducts of that is we've seen some incredible goals now where players aren't 
fearful of trying something extremely creative and around the net and in doing so dropping their head down a little bit. Whereas when I played, you were going to have your head taken off and that was considered to be your fault because you shouldn't be putting your head down. It's uh, it's nice to see the way that that's evolved in the game where players have used it to their advantage. Keith Jones joins us. Keith, I mean, you, you played in Washington, you played in Colorado, you played here. I mean, you're from Canada. Why did you settle on this area to, to kind of, I mean, you've been here now over 20 years. I mean, this is a good portion of your life now, correct? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I couldn't be or feel any more or any luckier that I ended up in Philadelphia for the last few years of my career. My knee was hanging on by a thread when I arrived in Philly and was fortunate enough to put a couple of decent seasons together and then stumbled into doing this media thing. And it's, <laughs> it started at ESPN and I right away when I retired, I started doing NHL tonight and struggling mightily with it. Did about 15 shows nationally and was thinking, man, I wish I could tape another knee brace on and get back on the ice because this isn't going to work out. <laughs> and I was fortunate enough to go do some morning radio with Al Morgani once and had a lot of fun doing it and then just kept showing up once a week until they finally started paying me after a year, year and a half of doing it. And that's really how that all started. And also doing, you know, Comcast Sportsnet at that time, doing right. uh, post-game shows. We didn't have pre-games. We didn't have intermission. All we had was the post-game on these little orange chairs, and we did about a 20-minute show. Coatsy would run downstairs from his perch up above where he was calling the game. Mm-hmm. And Michael Barkan and I, or Al Meltzer, and I and uh, Coatsy would talk about the game that we just saw, and that was really the start of post-game shows. So when you look look at where they're at now. So the the spot on the morning show, you basically pulled a Kramer. You just kept showing up, even though they weren't paying you. Hundred <laughs> percent. And my wife was giving me a lot of pressure. Why are you getting up at four a.m. going there? No, they're not paying you to do that. I said, I'm thirty-one years old. I've made money. I'm not going to have money if I don't get out and get a job and I just kept trying everything that I could because I had no other skills and I didn't even know if this was a skill, but I knew I had to do something. And I said uh, to my wife, I said, you and Adrian, my daughter like to eat. So I think I'm going to need to get another job. So I went out and got one. The reason was the reason you stuck around was the media contacts or the contacts here. Yeah, it's, you know that it's it started right away and i guess that's uh i can give myself a pat on the back for being a good interview when i played and taking the time to be accessible to reporters and not making them feel like they were you know lesser than the, the players themselves and getting the message out there to the fans that i've always felt fortunate enough to uh have fans that actually cared about what uh, I said or what we said as players and now what I say in the media. So I think that was uh, a big reason why those doors were opened for me. And then uh, I was lucky enough to kind of wiggle my way around and find my spot, which uh, didn't happen overnight, but with uh, some perseverance has turned out to be a pretty good thing. 
you the 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 camaraderie you have with your colleagues. I mean, you know, you and Morgani obviously, and I, you know, Al is easy to pick on. So, you know, because he's Al in a lot of ways. But you know, even on the on the national stuff, you and you and Milbury, whenever you're together, or you when Jr. was with you, and yep. you know, how does that develop? Is is that just? It's it's the same dynamics that's playing on a team, and they have to trust you. They have to trust that you're not in it for yourself, but you're in it for the for the the, the product or for the organization for the team. And if they believe that that's what your intentions are and giving them a little bit of a ribbing or busting their chops or whatever you want to call it, then that's, uh, then that's that fine line that you can walk. But you have to appreciate or at least acknowledge certain things that may cross a line with those people. Right. And, you know, you got to just kind of be creative but be fun and not be – mean spirited and you you can usually uh find a way to make it work where it's enjoyable for the people listening and not awkward for the people listening mike silski did a great uh piece on you and uh craig baruby and the friendship you guys have had uh over the years and just talk about how you two you know what was it like for you last year that night in boston when he wins the cup yeah, that was that was really cool. That was that was great. That was uh, you know, I I never won it, but that was as close to the, the feeling I think you get if you do win it. He's just uh, Craig's just a great guy, <clears throat> and he's worked extremely hard, and he's honest, and he's all the things that we talked about with Elaine Vino. He um, and he won it his way. He was not pushed into being a different type of coach than he than he is. And I've always appreciated that about uh, about Craig. He's just uh, the same guy away from the rink as he is at the rink. And he's loyal and he's honest. And that's uh, that's all you can ask of a good buddy. There's We go back a long way from our time in Washington and uh, had a lot of laughs. But at the same time, always had an appreciation for what both of us kind of brought to the table on and off the ice. Right. And it wasn't, it wasn't just about how we play, but it was how we, you know, made other people feel around us. And that's something that you want to try to pass on to people. You want to have a positive uh, influence on the way that other people that you like and hang around uh, feel about you. When you played in Washington with him, did you think he was a, did you think, yeah, this is a guy that's going to end up coaching in the NHL one day. Did you see that in him? I did. I I always um, marveled at his commitment to continuing to work on his game after practice. And he always had a bunch of drills, and he always included a bunch of the younger players that were trying to make the team. So I had a pretty good sense going back to those days that he was going to be able to move that forward into a coaching position. Um, when you talk about being able to have the sense of humor and a lot, yeah, you're self-deprecating in a lot of ways on humor. Uh, how much do you think that helped you 
both in, in broadcasting and even in locker rooms? I think it helps a lot. And all you have to do is look at Angelo and watch what he does or listen to what he does on the radio. Angelo works as a show and it is his show because he can do an outstanding interview with people from all different walks of life. Right. And the next segment, he can make you laugh about laughing at something about himself. And you can't give it to other people if you can't take it yourself. Mm-hmm. And that's a great lesson for anybody that's out there. There's a lot of people that don't like to get their balls, you know, busted. Right. They don't want to get, they don't want to get their, you know, they don't want to get joked about or made fun of. And you better be able to take it back if you're going to be that type of person. And if you recognize that somebody doesn't like it, don't do it. Because uh, to that individual, it's hurtful. So you gotta, you really have to be able to have a good feel for the people that you're busting on, but also make sure you're busting on yourself enough as well. And don't take yourself too serious <laughs> or too seriously, because life is way too short. I think we've all seen enough as we get older that uh, there's a lot of things we're not laughing about. We we want to laugh as much as we can. And especially at these times, I think right now when you don't, you know, when you don't have the distractions around of, of sports, um, I think that you have to find some humor in some ways. And, and, and right now it's real tough, obviously, but you got to find it somewhere. You do. Yep, you do. And I I think that it's a challenge. There's no doubt about that because you don't feel like laughing right now. So you just got to, um, you know, you just got to realize that maybe a, a little bit of humor goes a long way with somebody that might be having a tough day that's listening to what you're saying. So I, I do think that it matters. and I really think in these trying times that we're in right now, it may even matter a little bit more because there's a lot of people that are feeling pretty isolated right now. Mm-hmm. So I think it's uh, it's important that we we can do whatever we can to kind of pick their spirits up a little bit and get them through this tough time. And for anybody right now who, like, you know, I know you were in the studio the last couple mornings. I mean, it's just got to be totally bizarre because, you know, thank God for the NFL in a strange sense when you're doing this stuff because it does give you something to talk about or the Sixers being what the Sixers are at times and, and, and putting their foots in their mouth. But it at least gives you something to give you a little bit of abstraction from what's going on in the real world, so... Um, yeah, there's no doubt. It's, we're uh, we're lucky to be able to do that, and we're lucky to have Angelo to do it because there's not many that can bring that same passion during this type of atmosphere or in this type of atmosphere that he does. Yeah, and I absolutely marvel at him every time I go in, even if I am wondering on the way in about uh, what we're going to talk about. <laughs> believe me, he's got a list of things to talk about, and he's going to give it everything he has when he's there. So. I have a great appreciation for everything that he's taught me. How much do you miss the rink right now? A ton. This is the time of year you love coming. You come to the rink in another couple of weeks, you're coming in a pair of shorts and you're slapping your suit on and you're doing the game and you're coming out and it's nice and mild outside. And You get home and you you watch the late game if, you, if you're on the East Coast. And mm-hmm. for me, I'm doing double headers every night in uh, Connecticut and 
enjoying that whole deal as well. So hopefully it's not that far away, and we'll be back doing it before you know it. And I know you're a baseball fan, so you get the double whammy too. I mean, you don't even have baseball. To- yeah, that does. I, I love watching baseball, especially in the afternoon, and then going and do some playoff hockey games that night. Uh, it'll be back. It'll be here before we know it. Yep. We just got to keep keep grinding on through. Keith Jones from the Flyers broadcast team, 94 WIP, and the NHL and NBC. Jonesy, be safe, be well to the family, and uh, hope to talk to you again soon once we get the Cup playoffs going on again. You got it, Kev. Take care, buddy. Thanks. thanks. Keith Jones joining us. And once again, our thanks to Keith Jones, who joined us here. He's uh, enjoying, well, not enjoying, but he's uh, busy on his time off here. He's been uh, doing a lot of things, obviously doing a lot of episodes of the morning show, knowing that he's going to be busy whenever the NHL gets back. And it was interesting to hear Keith say that he believes the NHL will return at some point here. Um, Obviously, a lot of unknowns. You know, on Wednesday, Mark Cuban mentions about the fact he's here in mid-May for the NBA to come back. Uh, You don't know, I would doubt at this point, that any of these leagues would come back right away with with fans in mass like it would be on a normal circumstance. But I guess at this point, as sports fans, um, whenever they come back, we're just going to be so grateful to see something. Because I got to admit, it's been really, really difficult. you know, at night, you know, you're so used to flipping around to the Sunday ticket or not Sunday ticket during the NFL season, but like the, the NHL, the NHL center ice or the MLB extra innings or ESPN or whatever it is and finding something on, especially at this time of year when you're wall to wall college basketball and it has been bizarre uh, to find. And, and look, you know, I appreciate 30 for 30 and Peyton's place, the, the, the Manning show as much as anybody, but, uh, yeah, there's a certain point where you, you got to get new new content in, and obviously under these circumstances, there's not. But um, we're hoping. I would hope. I would hope at some point we have a baseball season. I would hope at some point we would end up with um, a, an NBA playoff. That that's a real NBA playoffs. I just don't force feed something to ha- say, "Oh, we crowned a champion." You know, do something that's representative and. Uh, you know, the, you know, I've heard other people say that the good part is, at least in the NBA, almost all the stuff in the East is settled. You know, all eight teams are picked. It's just a matter of where they would slot and everything. Well, spend the season, you got your slotting. West is a little trickier because there's a couple teams that are really tight in there. And, um, uh, you know, I don't know how you do that. I don't know how in the NHL. You know, uh, the NHL has played, I want to say, 70 games for the most part out of 82. So, You've played a representative enough season, so and there's tiebreakers and all that built in. Um, but, yeah, we're at a point right now where we're going to be making a lot of stuff up on the fly, but you hope that at least it, when we get to the end we have a representative champion, and I think that's the ultimate goal that each of these leagues should be looking for. So so that's our two shows for this week. Our thanks to Mike Silski on the front end. Our thanks to Keith Jones uh, joining us on the back end to talk all things hockey and his remarkable uh, career as a broadcaster and getting to the NHL and NBC and obviously 94 WIP and the Flyers broadcast. So my partner, Mike Kern will join us again next week. Again, socially distant. Uh, So everybody, please be safe. Please be careful. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thanks for joining us here on work on the beat.
limousine with your fine pocket. 